hello and welcome to another issue of Fekava Wretched. Hygiene and practice and the reduction of the use of antimicrobials is something that is challenging us every day in general practice. Tonight, I have the great pleasure to speak to one of not only in her native Sweden, but a European authority on this subject. I like to introduce you to Professor Ulrika Grönlund from Sweden. She is the head of infection control at Anikura. And I would like to find out how she does it. And maybe she has some good tips for everybody who is watching this episode of Fekava Vetchet. So good evening and welcome Ulrika. Oh, thank you so much. Hi, hi. Thank you very much for joining us for, for this Vetchet. I think the, the last time we, we met was uh, indeed in Sweden and you were giving a, a really fantastic presentation <laughs> on you. the way. Uh, yeah. You and Anikura had actually managed to reduce their use of antimicrobials in their clinics dramatically, and uh, you were also sort of going with the with the whole team sort of through the clinic. I was at the time then working at and taking samples and talking to staff, looking at every little detail, sort of where there could have been an issue with hygiene and so and I mean at the time the clinic I think was doing very very well yeah. they were all very very committed but I I found I mean a completely different approach to hygiene to to, to clinics I had seen in the UK um, and uh, also to some clinics in Germany and what I noticed was the big big sort of benefit of having this structured with a person who is sort of dedicated to this task and sort of skilled to implement that. But let's come first sort of to, to, to your personal journey into veterinary medicine. Was it always something you had planned to do? Yeah. Hmm? Yes. Why veterinary medicine? Why not human medicine? Oh, no, no, I want to be with animals. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was a, and I was a dog lover from yeah. early age, or animals in general. And then I, but then I changed my mind. Really, going to high school, I thought, no, I will become a CEO. That is my task. So I went to a civil engineering course for four years at the mm -hmm. university. Yeah. Up in Lulio, and uh, got my first dog when I moved there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that dog was pretty sick. And uh, went a couple of times or several times to the vet, and I thought gosh, this must be the profession to dream for, to examine, to diagnose, to prognose, and then follow up. I mean, oh, medicine, what a fantastic uh, subject. Mm. So I changed my mind, four years, civil engineering, way, and went to vet school. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so my, my loans are high. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. But that's interesting. So you, you you were first in a in a different profession uh -huh. and then moved into veterinary medicine. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, a lot of the people that I met sort of that did something as well, I think very often 
they've given the profession just so much more because they have also a different mindset, possibly a more practical mindset, or um, uh, they can suddenly cover areas which actually veterinary medicine was never used to. I mean, I, for example, I'm working together with a colleague who first did um, uh, uh, um, an, uh, a degree in online marketing or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And sort of he is now very much into uh, uh, telemedicine because that is something he is very familiar with suddenly these skills are very very handy yeah. Yeah. quite good um so then followed university in Uppsala I would in assume Uppsala, yeah and I had my sort of goal on becoming the best small animal practitioner okay. and then I got out and realized oh I don't still I don't know anything this is too difficult. So I thought research. I go for research. So okay. I, I work for a couple of years. Well, how do you have a goal like that? Becoming the best veterinary surgeon. Well, I think I have the unfortunately I have the habit of I want to be good. But yeah. Yeah. So you're very driven then. Yeah, I think I'm driven, yeah. But then <laughs> I, I realized I wasn't that good. So I need to go for something. I need to specialize to get better. And uh, I got my, my PhD, did it in infection, infectious disease in cows, in dairy cows. So I did it on Staph aureus. That was really um, fun. It was um, acute phase proteins and, and uh, Staph aureus. So I learned lots of basic sort of infection prevention and control. And um, then I wanted to stay in Uppsala and uh, there came up a position at the National Veterinary Institute, SVR, yeah. in the uh, department at that time of antibiotic. And that was then also the time when you when you wrote your PhD, you did that together with the uh, University of Ontario in Guelph? So, that was, so I was started at the SVA at the National Veterinary Institute, uh, started there, and then I applied for this grant, the Marie mm -hmm. Curie grant, uh, together with Vinova, and then I went to, the, did my postdoc uh, with Scott Weiss in, uh, in, in Guelph, Ontario, mm -hmm. Canada. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, how, how, how did you how did you like Canada then? Oh, the, they are so sweet. The <laughs> Canadians are so nice. They are wonderful people. The nicest people in the world, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. Fantastic. We, um, we, we. I, I went over a couple of years ago to the to the World Congress in, in yeah. Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They present Ficava, and uh, uh, yeah, we. I mean, we 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 had a. A really great time not only in in toronto but the, we then also went to alberta and went Ooh, to the rockies and oh, uh, cool fascinating nevertheless i have to say i mean i'm 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 an outdoor person i i like the mountains and uh, i i like to be in the woods and yeah. i found it initially sort of quite interesting this idea in being in an environment where they have bears and where they also have grizzly bears yeah. but then after a while I thought, no, no, I can do, I can do without it. I mean, I never had any scary account encounters. No. Always has my bear spray with me and stuff like that. Okay, but yeah. Then thinking about now, sort of going hiking in the Alps, or especially if I'm out jogging, for example, or if I I'm out skiing, for example, or roller skiing, for example. 
I mean, I I met some colleagues over there, and the uh, the colleague I spoke to her, her son and uh, his girlfriend there, very keen cross country skiers, and she talked about one scenario that the the girlfriend had, where she was coming with the roller skis down the hill, and there was a grizzly mum with two cups in the on the bottom of the hill, so she had to pull the brakes and 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 injured herself quite quite badly, and I thought. Nah. So don't need that. <laughs> and, and especially, I mean, this fantastic biathlon site in, in Canmore, uh, they have a lot of issues with grizzly bears up there. Yeah, so, yeah. No, no, can no. do with it. No. Yeah, I think I can do it too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but in, in Guelph, you, how long were you there? I was there for one and a half year and the scholarship was three years. So I continue back home in Sweden. I did actually in equine. So I was studying uh, infection prevention and controlling equine stud farms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, that is my theme. Really, so. really through the species. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and then you got headhunted by Anikura. They wanted to have you as then sort of uh, you, um, uh, your position is, I think, sort of chief medical controller or? No, I'm, no I'm just the group medical quality manager. Quality manager. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I was, uh, I had actually a, a bit of a journey also at the uh, agriculture university in Uppsala so I did a I was senior lecturing there for mm -hmm. after I came back from Canada and that's where I also got my associate a professorship yeah. Yeah. and then I was headhunted and that was really fun because I thought I don't know anything about quality I'm only a very good at uh, antibiotic resistance epidemiology and infection prevention and control but quality no 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 but uh, I realized afterward that it was a smart move of the, the leadership team of, of uh, Anikura at that point to have this broader mm. aspect because, uh, I mean, it's really about patient safety and it's about employee safety. So that was from where I then started to work with equality and stayed with these two topics within my sort of backbone. Possibly, I don't know, maybe also where the civil engineer came in again, because, I mean, the, uh, theoretically, you could probably have continued in academia endlessly, and that possibly would have been uh, uh, at the loss of really every, what shall I say, sort of practical input, where really you're, what shall I say, in a, in a private business, your head is on the block. If you, yeah. if, you, if you give the wrong advice and things go pear-shaped, you are suddenly the person to answer. Whereas mm -hmm. I think academia is maybe a little bit more cushy, but then as a civil engineer, if you say, well, this bridge is sound, <laughs> then yeah. you stand it needs to be. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this comment. And if yeah, things right. go, go wrong, they have a look, okay, who, who agreed or uh, signed off the statics? <laughs> exactly. And so, so that's a brave, it's a brave move. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But and then, also I, I had with me the marketing, sort of marketing interest. I like marketing and, and sales and uh, that's why it made it also sort of interesting to make it sort of clear to everyone 
in the vet industry that Anikira was doing this quality work and we were starting this program 2015 called Qualicura that I was sort of leading together with help from others uh, and uh, that was I mean I I have that in me to show to others what is our what, what are we different at Anikira? Yeah I mean that was um that was something. I mean, that uh, I I had to, as you as you will know through possibly through Alex Vilain that Fikava is also sort of very keen to to uh, uh, to produce uh, work on both hygiene and reduction mm. of antimicrobials uh, for our members, and uh, we produced uh, um, our set of infographics. Um, very much sort of, I, I know, I mean, that, that was a time when, when we very often sort of drew on your knowledge, actually, to, uh, to, uh, yeah. to back up sort of our work or to find out, well, what is the general opinion on, 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 on this or that. Um, but then one of the documents that then came up was sort of the quality control report that Anikura came out with. And yeah. I haven't seen any other veterinary group or organization sort of uh, producing such a detailed report, also showing what can be done, how much antimicrobial use can be reduced. And, uh, and, and, and now and it was it made fascinating reading. And uh, I, I, I think, I mean, that is, Anikura is probably quite quite happy to, if anybody who's, who's hearing this, so it's uh, very yeah. happy to forward a copy to or Absolutely. to guide. And you can find it on our website, anikuragroup.com. I mean, it's there. So you can find now. I'm just in in. We're just finishing the last editing round of 2020 version. So uh, uh, hopefully it will be out now in in April. To, to yeah so it's been really something we started in 2015 we hadn't much to write at that point because we just started but then we have published everything we have been doing with this within this colicura program and and it's been about really focusing on nine areas where three have been my major point uh, contributions and that would be wise antimicrobial use secure infection prevention and control and monitoring surgical site infections so, and then together with that, I, I went then out to our clinics and uh, discussing these nine focus areas on site and uh, going through the clinic, looking at the hygiene routines, discussing how did they think about antibiotic use? Did they ever discuss it? What, what are their routines? Do we have any best practice in the clinics? So I um, did sort of a deep dive into each clinic and before COVID, I managed to maybe visit at least uh, two, 250 clinics, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that I found sort of so interesting because on one hand, I mean, you, you were known to me as, a, as an academical uh, 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 sort of personality, but there you were in the flesh and then really going down to the nitty gritties in the clinic and yeah. then also giving practical advice what to do, what not to do, where to think maybe twice. And I mean, I, I have to out myself when I started uh, my own clinic, 1999, probably for the first 10 years or so, I gave routinely uh, antibiotics after a standard spay of a cat or of a, uh, uh, of a bitch. 
Uh, all orthopedic procedures got definitely antimicrobials. I didn't swap. I just, uh, well, <laughs> gave yeah. antibiotics to be on the safe side. <laughs> so, yeah, for and, a week. And, I and then I met Alex, and mm -hmm. uh, Alex was doing this fantastic work with our uh, antimicrobial resistance group at uh, uh, Fekava. Yeah. And so, and when we talked about that, and she said, ah, Wolfgang, no, necessary. you don't need it. And, and, and then I thought, oh, come on, Alex is saying it. And I, I, I value, I value her opinion a lot and she's getting away with it and they don't have any infections. And I mean, sure enough, I mean, if we were clean, we probably don't need yeah. it. So I started carefully and sure enough, absolutely no need whatsoever no post-operative infections again providing obviously sort of hygiene was yeah. uh, was good mm. speed of surgery was also a factor absolutely That's yep. probably certainly as and well. speed of anesthesia is also included yeah yep. but then but then also sort of other areas where i thought sorry this is not going to work i mean that was for example very interesting in sweden where i admittedly sort of thought i want to see it uh, uh in the flesh i when i had cats with uh, uh, cat bite abscesses yeah i always gave antibiotics and yeah. in sweden was that you drain the thing you give painkillers you don't give antibiotics if there is good drainage absolutely no need the lancing is important but not antimicrobial they don't do any no difference and then i thought okay i want to see that first before it works and sure enough also this worked but obviously pain relief is important absolutely yeah and good drainage is important yeah. obviously and again sort of that that changed a lot in my personal approach to it but this was, I mean, this was, the, these are all sort of things I, I learned from you guys. And uh, yes, this, uh, generally the Scandinavian countries, I mean, if we look at the use of antimicrobials in Europe, I think the Scandinavian countries are certainly yeah. the way there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we are, we are, I mean, in our survey, we have done our survey now for fifth year. For the fifth year, we did an antibiotic survey in Anikura. And that was something we decided early on to, to measure the use, to know where we were standing. And we can see a, a very, very much a marked drop in, in, in the region of Germany, Austria and Switzerland. And also in Denmark, actually, who was among the higher. And, uh, and there, Sweden and Norway are on the lower side. So of course, I mean, they, we have had a different approach to antimicrobials in, in Sweden and Norway from the very beginning, starting off early, like early 1990s with the farmers and then we went on. So, so I've been in the whole year, journey actually from, from the days where, we, where every second dog got antibiotics in Sweden, because that was the time when I was working at the uh, National Veterinary Institute. And the thing that changed our vet's mind was not really me or the other guys, vet's colleagues working at the National Veterinary Institute. It was really two things and they have, they can be abbreviated MRSA, MRSP because they scared the, out of our colleagues 
and they thought we need to do something. We are we cannot we cannot continue on this route because then we will be we will be not having anything left because the MRSP we go was really multi-resistant, one of the worst sort of clones. And from there, that point in 20, 2006, we started to to work on this, and uh, it was easy to get sort of hearing from from the colleagues because they needed help. And then I sort of went out from the institute giving them practical advice on both sort of what to do hygiene and what to do with the antibiotics because not every other dog was needing it. We were just mm. doing it for the sake of, um, yeah, of we were frightened. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, it makes perfectly sort of yeah. business sense also. Mm. Uh, I mean, if, if you have MRSA in your clinic, uh, this is, I mean, it, it, it can grind all work to a halt, theoretically. Mm. Mm. So if, if, if this is really bad, and obviously then also look at the reputation of your clinic. Mm. So yeah. if, if there are a lot of post-operative infections and infections where you lose patients, although they just have come in for sort of, what shall I say, <laughs> trivial procedure. Yeah. yeah. Wow, it's also, I mean, quite scary for the employees as well. I mean, it it's is. Not, I mean, it's not also, nothing you want to have in your clinic at all. I mean, it's really. It's good thing is it's easy to get rid of if you have the right preventive measures and. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not hard bugs to kill. So how does how does your day to day sort of work? How does it? typical week or so look uh, for you? I mean, okay, at the moment with COVID, it's probably not so much on site visit, but say before and hopefully after COVID, how, how does it, how did that look like? Yeah, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say that I, I've, I'm sort of, the, I have a support function. So that is my main task to support our clinics in this work of these surgical site infections and antimicrobial use and infection prevention and control. And so besides that, I, I sort of conducted these quarterly surveys. I did at least two or three of them. And then we have maybe another topic. Uh, and then I went for these visits. So yeah. this has been my writing reports from the visits, writing reports from the results in the surveys. And then bringing forward guidelines, we have guidelines for infection prevention and control for instrument handling. And now I'm also about to write the antibiotic guidelines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. think it's been sort of, and of course put role models in for, put role models that are doing well, sort of say, hey guys, you can do like this, look, this works well. Like you were thinking, well, Alex, I mean, that was a role model to you. And those are the ones that are easy to follow. And so I will say can that you, you can you over your sort of five six years with Anikura, do you have any figures a little bit to sort of quantify the improvements you have seen over the last sort of five or six years? Are there typical sort of I don't know uh, examples of uh, sort of average say uh, cell counts that has gone down uh, in sort of risk area or reduction in the use of antimicrobials also how much this has been reduced further yeah we have data for for many of our clinics uh, and I, I, on if you talk about the group average uh, we have done, gone down for 
from like, I think it was like around 14%, 16% when we started off. And then we went down towards, now we are down below eight in group average. And the goal is set to 5% on group average in 2030. So, so that's 5% of consults uh, will end yeah, up with- exactly. So only 5%. And that is a figure that has came forward in the work done in Sweden by Swedish hospitals, by colleagues. And I mean, as, as you said, sort of, when were that sort of 20, 25 years ago, 50% of each consultation use of antimicrobials. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we shouldn't be surprised that we have so much issues with antimicrobial resistance. There was just so was much. Just, yeah. And I mean, even before then, I mean, back even back at the in the 19, what was that, 1980s or so, I was working mm -hmm. in Norway and um, they already had uh, 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 no longer a right to dispense. So, uh, oh, okay, yeah. Never, ne nevertheless, uh, it was so that uh, antimicrobial, there was still a lot of antimicrobials mm. was, was used. So, <laughs> I, I remember one vet in the north of, of Norway and she said, uh, I met him and he, he was not a very popular vet and he said, well, I have a bottle of penicillin and a bottle of dexamethasone. What else do you need? Well, but that, come on, that, that's a long time ago and uh, that was also not 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 in a in a in a in a what will I say very central area so but no but I got that comment really when I started down in Kura I got that comment early on and that was from the Bergen area somewhere there it's not it was not rural but it was so sort of but if I can't give antibiotics what should I do then as a vet and then we are talking about 2015 and, and later so I mean it's it's still but it something is still, that is I mean it's still something we encounter a lot in companion animal practice. So yeah. clients are not happy unless you are giving antibiotics. And mm. it requires some, what shall I say, some backbone to mm -hmm. stand up and to say, no, no, sorry, mm. we don't need it. It's not necessary. It's in fact possibly making things worse. Exactly. Yeah. So, so but but that's not so easy, especially if you are a junior vet and there comes in the seasoned breeder who has seen it all, done it mm. all, knows it all. And so mm. then there you are sort of fresh from vet school and you have to say, well, uh, no, I'm not giving you antibiotics. So, mm. uh, it, yeah, and that is tough. And that's why it's so important. I mean, we have guidelines and cure guidelines, but but I only always emphasize the need to have the local ones, the in-clinic ones, because with the in-clinic ones, you can feel safer because that the, these are the ones you have agreed on in the group. And then you feel much stronger towards this sort of maybe a bit very uh, knowledgeable uh, owner I mean, that is, it, it, you shouldn't sort of underestimate the need to have a group consensus on when to give antibiotics and not to give antibiotics. If you, if you would give sort of two or three top tips, if there's somebody listening now to this uh, podcast or to this uh, YouTube video and sort of they say, okay, come on, how can I very easily and without risking my reputation, cut back 
immediately considerably the amount of antimicrobials I use? What what would be, I don't know, two or three top tips? Two or three uh, top can tips. You? Mm -hmm. uh, I would say you need to start measuring. So you, where you, you need to find out where you use the most of your antibiotics. So you know where you should put your sort of focus on. And when you found that, you focus on these and see what you can do differently. I mean, there is lots of guidelines out there if you're not an Anikura member. Um, and then I think it's also important to have a, a consistency through, through the whole sort of team in the clinic. So even uh, the, if a question goes to the vet or to the receptionist or the nurse, you have the same sort of answer that this can be dangerous, it's not needed. It's, so you have sort of, once again, a group consensus in the clinic when to give and not to give. And that has to go through every level. It's important, every it's not level. just the vet, no. really the nurses, the receptionists need yeah. to understand the philosophy and the, the idea behind it, yeah. So you need to have some communication skills. You have to be a bit knowledge about it to, to talk to the owners in a right way to say that, this is not needed, this dangerous, and yeah, sort of the, the making a bit sort of scary for, for the owners and, and making them understand. So I think that will be my, my sort of, that is probably two or three tips in that one. And then if you start measuring, then you should hopefully get some back you, you data and saying that, okay, we changed or we not, didn't change. And if you haven't changed, you have to discuss that, of course. I found, I personally found also, um, I always thought it was really good or the good business actually to test, test, test. I, I took a lot of swaps from, from patients. So very often sort of started off rather than giving antibiotics, say if there was an, a, 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 I don't know, fresh cut or a, a contaminated mm. wound or something like that. First thing to do is swap it. Swap it, swap it. You can always throw the swap away, but nevertheless, it is good practice to run an antibiogram. Then well, I, I need to object a bit here, Wolfgang, because I think we have to make a step before that, before we take the swap. And that is, do I need to put this animal antibiotics? If you say no, then you shouldn't take the swab because then otherwise you're a bit sort of, if you get the result, you're a bit tempted to do it anyway, or you need to do it because you did this swabbing and you need to put it. So have a bit of thoughts through first, but maybe you need it, like you say, you, you need it afterwards because you maybe are a bit uncertain about your diagnosis or what can cause it. And then you maybe need to have this in your hand, the result when it comes. Mm -hmm. But I think there are some sort of, areas where you really should swab and that's where you have these recurrent cases because then you haven't got a clue about the resistant pattern that you encounter but otherwise i think sometimes we we swab for instance a, a urinary tract uh, sort of a uti in a bitch and they they have been on antibiotics and you take this urine culture and uh, you find e coli rich growth pure e coli but i mean the bitch is doing fine so we shouldn't be too sort of tempted to take a swab because just because we can we have to as always when we do diagnosis we have to have a plan will this change my way of behaving my change of plans or depending on the result because it's easy when you get the the sort of oh now it's equal i oh, always pure growth yeah 
we need to put something, we need to do something here. Well, I mean, then you still, when you have the result, you can still decide, okay, is that now needed or not? It's a patient doing Absolutely, more. but it's a bit hard uh, because the owner has paid for it. So you have a bit of, it could be that you feel a bit sort of a, I need to do something extra now or... I, I, I often take, to, to take swaps so just as a backup, just yeah. as a backup. Yeah. Have it there and then uh, I've, I'm very happy phoning the, the owner then up afterwards. Get, do a, a post-op check and then say also the result came back from the lab there's absolutely no growth or the growth yeah, we've had yeah. is likely to be just from a contaminant or if I have used have taken a swab have put the patient on antimicrobials then I also can say well the clinical progress is good and yeah. on top of that uh, the bacteriology confirms we are using the right antibiotic mm, yeah yeah, if you if you do it that way, I'm fine. But I, I know from from the work I've been doing that sometimes can mix us up a bit when you take a swab. Now, another subject. Uh, it's yeah. maybe a little bit of a hot topic. The um, uh, uh, the Scandinavian countries, uh, the vets in Scandinavian countries, don't have a right to dispense. So no. what you do is if you want to um, uh, prescribe um, a course of antibiotic tablets or also painkillers, for example, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, you have to write a prescription. The prescription mm -hmm. is then issued to the owner and they can collect it at a, um, a, 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 at a pharmacy. Yeah. I personally, that's sort of my take on that, think that that probably is also helpful in the reduction of the use of antimicrobials because the prescriber is not making a profit from the sale of the antimicrobials. Hmm. That's my personal view. I think some people will not be happy with that view in continental Europe. On the other hand, I also have to say that as a word of criticism, this also, I felt it, when I was working in Sweden meant that I wanted to prescribe something I would have made an effort for having in the pharmacy myself mm -hmm. in my yeah. own pharmacy. And I had that so often mm. that basic um, uh, painkillers, for example, were just not obtainable mm. in the local pharmacies. And I thought yeah. here, this system is falling flat. Uh, and is actually resulting in, in poor patient care or reduced patient care. Because oh, delayed. You if, have to yeah, wait for it, yeah. That's the thing, but we had, yeah. I mean, this uh, uh, meloxicam, for example, yeah. was sometimes not obtainable at all at any of the local pharmacies. Mm. And I thought if that would have been my clinic, I would have made far more of an effort. So... I don't know, how do you look at that? Uh, do you, would you agree that this might also help to reduce the yeah. prescribing of antimicrobials? Yeah. I think There's so. No commercial incentive. Exactly. I mean, I definitely think so. At the same time, I think it's always like this, wherever you are, you're practicing as a vet. I mean, it's we shouldn't be selling this. I mean, it, we should we sell our five, five and a half years of, good universities knowledge and skills so i mean that is what we should sell and we should become much better in taking credit for that not that we can write a prescription because i usually say when i do webinars or presentations that 
uh, writing prescription that, that you can do after two weeks is it's not difficult. I mean, that everyone can do. So I think we, we have to also, from university point of view, from, from the education, be, be sort of trained in how to sell our knowledge mm -hmm. rather than doing this sort of writing prescription, because that is just a, a simple tool that we have. Yep. I mean, again, I think that makes on the long run, it makes good business sense. I've I witnessed that with my with my own clinic. I was admittedly sort of making good money through the sale of uh, medication. Yeah. But then some years ago, on came the online pharmacies and I had more and more and more clients uh, coming to me asking for prescription because they could get the pharmaceuticals cheaper at the online pharmacy than mm. I could have bought it from my wholesaler in the UK. Mm. Okay, so I found actually that sort of my profit margin uh, uh, or also the turnover figures in fact uh, are generated by the sale of uh, medication was actually dropping and that where I really maintain and where I held the clinic uh, and, and, and the overall turnover was uh, diagnostics and uh, uh and yeah skill yeah. skill operations yeah, uh, of course. consultations, consultations uh, uh, yeah. advice and and i mean that is really the basic the, the, the model sort of what veterinary medicine ideally sort of should be based on mm. but obviously maybe okay in the uk i think uh, colleagues in I don't know, sort of Central Europe, Eastern Europe might say, well, but then you have to say, if you have to double the number of competitors around the corner, life is much tougher and it's easy for you to say, but well, it doesn't work here. We need, we definitely need also an income through the, through the medication. Yeah. Can yeah. I jump again? Another yeah. subject. And can we come to a close? Obviously, we while recording this, we are living in the times of COVID nineteen. Um, uh, also, in your position, uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot of uh, the Anikura management, but also a lot of colleagues, will have come to you and would have said, "Here, yeah, Ulrika, infection. That's <laughs> your field. What are we going to do? Sort of, how has this affected? Sort of." The veterinary work in Sweden. How has that changed, sort of your tasks, sort of because you're probably also one of the the, the central people, sort of the veterinary professionals looking at when it comes to COVID advice. Yeah, mm. I mean, I, I mean, it started off sort of with the with the scarcity of uh, of getting hand disinfection and uh, gloves, and that was pretty the worst part. That was. That, that was a tough one. I mean, talking from my point of view, I mean, I like to have a certain level that you use your hand disinfection, you use your gloves, blah, 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 your apron, but that was too, for now it's gone and we don't know. So we, we, we did a good effort in Sweden joining our forces within the whole industry and uh, brought together and find, found, found solutions for different sort of setups, what to do if we didn't have this or that. So I think we, we had really good uh, joint initiative in Sweden. From from manicure point of view, I think the main problem we have had is the 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 people are sort of at home, sick leaves. They can't mm. fill the positions um, mm. because if you have a bit of cold or anything, you you should be at home, and that is of course affecting yeah. us. 
but uh, but otherwise from uh, from my point of view i mean i just love the use of uh, that we now we know how to use more alcohol on our hands and uh, i think i think i uh, this is a great sort of once again the bugs play in my favor if you just speak about this like mm. the mrsa and mrsp you you people know what you're talking about and then see the the essence of, of good preventive measures in hygiene so you think because also offset training which sort of at the moment might be covid related there might also be a good long term effect of just improving hygiene could, could possibly be. generally mm. yeah we hope so i mean that, but usually we you say that you have a nine nine months that you remember then you fade away going back to old habits and so, but okay. I, I wouldn't like yeah. to have a new pandemic after nine months. Okay, okay. <laughs> but that's the was, human brain, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 2017, you, you were given the Swedish Hygiene Prize of the National yeah. Association of Infection Control. How, how um, I, I would assume, I mean, this is sort of obviously a national prize. So how typical is it to be given to a veterinary surgeon? No, I actually, it's like this. I, I shouldn't put myself too high. It's actually the one, it's three prizes every year. Yeah. One is always given to a vet or from the vet industry, or not always, but it's not, we should put it like this. Two is always given to human medicine, I think. And then the other one is given to someone else from a different discipline. So I think there was a tattooer actually one year who got it. So, I mean, it depends. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. They had, had very good sort of rigid uh, hygiene uh, routines. So I, I think it's, uh, but but anyway, I mean, it's not everyone gets it. And I was very happy for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Certainly looks good on the CV. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Good. Ulrike, thank you so much for this vet chat. Um, if anyone has any further questions about this vet chat yeah. or other vet chats uh, you can contact us on vetchat at ficava.org i mentioned during this vet chat the ficava hygiene and practice and uh, uh, use of antimicrobial posters that ficava has uh, uh, produced they can be downloaded for free from our website which is ficava.org Thank you very much for listening or watching this vet chat and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week for another episode of the Cover Vet Chat. Take care and stay safe. Thank you.